It's Friday the 10th of June. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, protests outside the National Biodiversity Conference, and will Europe's gas shortage force Ireland to import LNG? Also coming up on this week's show, we conclude our Birdwatch Ireland collaboration and Kaylee Crossan is back for our culture feature. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and we're near the end of the second season of the podcast with our final episode coming up next week. Thanks so much to those of you who have tuned in this season. We're wrapping up our culture feature with Kaylee Crossan and our Birdwatch Ireland feature with Niall Hatch and Ricky Whelan a little later. But as always, we start with our news roundup. And we're in an emptier and uh, definitely a quieter news room this week. I'm just joined by Anna Pringle today. How are you keeping, Anna? I'm good, thanks, Dara. We're missing Kira, obviously. We are. We're missing her in a big way, but we'll um, we'll carry on. We'll carry on regardless. We um, hear her voice in our heads asking us questions as we go through things. <laughs> asking us, what the hell are we on about? <laughs> I often ask myself that too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Dara, what have we got this week? You mentioned the National Biodiversity Conference and protests. So tell us about that. Yeah, so the National Biodiversity Conference was happening on Wednesday the 8th and Thursday the 9th of June. So it's still going on as we record this, actually. Um, And it's just the second National Biodiversity Conference. The first one was in 2019. um, And then obviously with COVID, um, we haven't had any for the last couple of years. One of the big aims of these conferences is to help to shape the National Biodiversity Action Plan. So we're having, we'll have our fourth National Biodiversity Action Plan released this year and the dialogues and the talks and the exchanges that go on at this conference will be used to help shape that. So Dara, so just to channel Kira here, this is our fourth Biodiversity National Action Plan. How have the other three gone? And are, I mean, are these been, how often are these been refreshed? Um... So, and I think that the first one was in 2017, and so they get renewed fairly regularly. But so one of the big reasons that there were protests outside is because we don't actually see any action. We just see talk, um, we see these plans written, and then nothing actually happens with regard to biodiversity. So I suppose a good example of that talk, Anna... There are some great quotes from the speeches. Who do you think said this, Anna? I'll do a little quiz. Uh, So who do you think said this? The great mistake of our species is to think that we are somehow separate from nature, that we can continually hollow out natural systems without consequence for our own well-being. And this person also said, we must think long-term and not be afraid of changing how we do things to meet the challenges of our new reality. Hmm, it sounds like a strong environmentalist, maybe. Um, Pippa Hackett, maybe? No, that was Hall Martin. That was our Taoiseach oh, speaking right. on Thursday. Okay. Um, so you can so hear... So somebody wrote, somebody wrote a good speech for him then. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, that is amazing stuff to hear from, from our Taoiseach. You know, that is definitely, in terms of what he's saying, that is a huge shift in how we view nature, how we view our connection with nature. And that kind of rhetoric makes its way into the plans but then those plans aren't implemented so we but dara is this not like typical we are so great at having plans and saying look we've got a great plan but 
do we ever actually deliver on those plans? And has anybody gone back and saying, you know, the first three plans we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z, and here's where we are on those? I mean, do we have a scorecard? Um, I totally agree with you about how we're good at writing plans. And in the previous episode, you know, we were talking about our climate action plan and how that's not being fulfilled. But these biodiversity plans are even weaker because they're 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 not even they don't even have a legal footing like our climate action plan has a legal footing so they are literally not even really worth the paper they're written on and that was sort of the that was the approach that the protesters who were outside um that's very much what they were campaigning for so they were campaigning that there needs to be an act of legislation with biodiversity targets like the Climate Act, that there's no point in setting targets if they're not legally binding, um, and that all our previous attempts to address biodiversity loss have failed badly because there's, because there's no legal basis for them. Right, and we see even with the Climate Act that we are not acting fast enough in accordance with that, even though it is legally binding so there's a lot to be done on biodiversity by the sounds of it yeah I I suppose the thing there Anna is that you know a lot of the actions the climate actions and the biodiversity actions are compatible with each other you know and that a huge part of it is getting that fundamental shift that Michal Martin mentioned of us realizing that we're part of nature you know and and changing everything that we do to be to be more um, to be more consistent with as what he describes as that new reality. Um, yep. So, you know, that's, <laughs> but that's yes, a we silver have all lining. These, we have all these regulations that we don't enforce, as we've been talking about, things like burning in the uplands, things like hedgerow protection. I mean, they all exist already, so I'm not sure that legislation is the panacea for everything either. No, I don't think so, but it's definitely it's definitely something it's definitely something that's needed and I think uh I think that's why the protest out uh, why the protest was was so good because you know, it is really important to highlight how far off track we are with all of this and um it was very visually striking as well. It's worth it's worth checking out. Um, yeah, the canary is dead was a really yeah powerful and, image. Yeah. Like the canary in the coal mine is already dead. Um, yeah, that was actually a reference from the first biodiversity conference where Michael D Higgins gave the keynote speech, and he said, "If we were coal miners, we'd be up to our knees in dead canaries." So uh, the <laughs> Extinction Rebellion protesters were kind of paraphrasing, paraphrasing that speech. Yeah, it was very, very visual and nice to see some of our contributors in the in the video there as well. Um, and I, I was also struck by the headline in the Examiner, which I have to say is one of the better papers for covering this stuff. But they had a headline on Wednesday that said Ireland is embarrassingly bad after 30 years of inaction on the biodiversity crisis. I thought that was quite good. Headline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would nearly disagree that it's it's inaction. You know, it's not like things have stayed the same. <laughs> things are far worse than they were 30 years ago. Well, yeah, you know, so negative it's action. action. So it's yeah. negative. It's negative action. You know, if you look at um, if you look at all the species whose numbers have declined of how much worse condition our rivers are in. It's not that we've just stagnated. We've been going the wrong direction. Backwards. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So what's the second story we're looking at today, Anna? Um, so what we're looking at is potential gas shortages in Europe next winter and how that relates to LNG imports into Ireland. Yeah, and so can, I suppose I'll stop you there. LNG, what is LNG? It's a term that we hear a lot 
um, and we hear about Shannon LNG, we hear about LNG terminals, we hear about imported LNG. What what is it? Why does it matter? Well, thank you, Kira. I mean, Dara. Um, and yeah, LNG stands for liquefied natural gas. And what that is, is fossil gas, like any other gas that's been extracted, but they, it's, turn, it's compressed and turned into a liquid so that it can be transported around the world on ships, on tankers. So then what happens is they get delivered to import terminals. And so there are already plenty of those around Europe they get delivered to import terminals and then from there they get, I guess, decompressed and and sent into the gas network. Does that answer your question? It does, it does. And so, so and then I've heard about Shannon LNG. So that was one of those terminals that's been proposed to be built. And from my recollection, when the Programme for Government was written up in 2020, that this kind of plan was being abandoned. But now, with everything that's going on, am I right in thinking that that's not... A certainty anymore. Yeah, it seems to be sneaking back into the radar. And the Programme for Government said that we don't believe it makes sense to develop LNG gas import terminals importing fracked gas and committed to withdrawing the Shannon LNG terminal from the EU projects of common interest list. So that happened, but now we're starting to see a bit more pressure on that coming back in again. So the Regulator, which is the Commission for the Regulation of, of Utilities, has just offered to incentivize LNG terminals. And the reason they're given is the need to boost security of supply. And again, this is in the context of the Ukraine war and pressure on, on supply across Europe generally. So they're willing to give a price discount to any new LNG terminal, which seems, again, that the CRU are an agency of the state. And yet in the programme for government, we were saying we don't want LNG. So I think there's some controversy coming on this one. And Eamon Ryan has uh, again recently said that um, he is against the development of an LNG terminal in Shannon. And he doesn't want to lock the state into the use of fossil fuels for decades to come. Meanwhile, Leo Varadkar, our Tanisha and Tishuk in waiting is off um, has committed to meeting with the company called New Fortress Energy who are um, planning the terminal so it's all getting a bit murky and I think there will be quite a bit of controversy about this during the summer and then you know the the head of the International Energy Agency also pointed out that we need to reduce demand for gas that, you know, that that is going to be that has to be part of the solution. So we don't hear much about that here, but but we need to reduce that demand. And what does that mean? What does what does reducing demand look like? Uh, well, I mean, in what they're talking about, if they need if there are energy shortages in winter in Europe, for example, they're talking about asking some industries to shut down that use gas. They're talking about longer term moving, like things like retrofitting are important. So longer term moving to more um, efficient heating systems. In Dublin, for example, they're looking at district heating as the solution to take the capital off needing gas. But those are longer term solutions. But rations, they're talking about rationing gas. If if it comes oh. to that, that that might be necessary. Wow. So you can see how the, it would be, you can see how it's a, tough dilemma no government wants to ration fuel and even if they've said they're committed to not importing lng 
if that's how the f- choice is framed, there's going to be a big push to bring in LNG terminals here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And once again, just the context of the wider context of the climate crisis has just been completely uh, neglected in all these decisions and in a lot of the discourse around this. Yeah. Before we wrap up our news roundup then, Anna, what's our not climate story this week? So this week, Dara, the Financial Times had uh, one of those little interactive online things that they do about space debris. So, and the... (laughs) As if we weren't worried enough about what's going on on Earth, they are... The headline was, How Space Debris Threatens Modern Life. What is space debris, Anna? (laughs) Well, Dara, you know, when you look at how we have trashed the planet, it's not surprising to also then find out, well, it's it's kind of surprising and horrifying to also find out that we've trashed space as well. So space debris, apparently the Earth is littered with roughly 9,000 metric tons of debris, and that's according to NASA. So that's after 65 years of space flights, we've got derelict spacecraft, spent rocket stages, hardware released during missions, exploded motors, and these are all zooming uncontrollably around Earth at speeds of 25,000 kilometers an hour. Then, to make this even more challenging, the Russians, they shot a missile in space at a satellite and blew it to smithereens, so they added way more debris which is now flying around. So that happened in November. And so all of this stuff is flying around space. And obviously that runs the risk of collisions. And then the way it's been presented to us is that this also presents a serious challenge to the burgeoning space economy. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. So again, think about it. Economic growth and the focus on economic growth on the planet Earth have gotten us to where we are. So now we've moved up into low Earth orbit, which is near space. And because launch costs are falling and smaller, cheaper satellites have opened up a market that's potentially worth up to $3 trillion over the coming decades. And guess how many commercial spacecraft are predicted to be in orbit by 2030, Dara? Oh, do you mean by commercial spacecraft? Do you mean that people can go up and go for a spin around space? Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, it's more. It's satellites. It's you know all that stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I've no idea. So there's five thousand operational satellites in orbit, three thousand dead satellites. Half of the working satellites were launched in the last three years, and that rate of growth will accelerate. The Satellite Industry Association reckons there could be more than 100,000 commercial spacecraft in orbit by 2030. Wow. So that's a hell of a lot of stuff flying around the Earth at thousands of kilometers an hour. Okay, and and so there's lots of space debris up there that could potentially hit one of these and knock out our weather systems or knock out our Wi-Fi. Is that, is that the potential implications of space debris? Yeah, exactly, because we are more and more dependent now on for our internet, um, for GPS systems, all of those all of those things are more and more dependent on it. So um so yeah, so collisions obviously wouldn't be good if they're banging into each other up there. I don't know if stuff can fall down, but um so yeah, and we like weather services, communication services, earth observation, even climate change monitoring. 
they all okay. fly in low earth orbit and and so obviously there's a risk if that becomes very congested and if there's more risk of things banging into each other and it's that is it the climate change monitoring is that why it's our or not climate story this week or what does it have to do with climate no for change? me it's for me it's a not climate story because it's just another example about how unfettered growth and the race for growth just creates devastation everywhere and you think about all that junk flying around in our Earth orbit, and actually we don't know probably what the implications of that be, but it's like a massive landfill in Earth flying around the planet uh, or yeah. above the Earth. And it's all the same companies. So you've got Amazon, SpaceX, all of those companies, they are launching thousands of satellites and they're all racing. It's a it's a it's like a space race to really colonize that part of the lower Earth orbit, just as they did with extracting resources from the Earth. And I don't even know what the implications are from a climate change point of view in terms of what resources they're using yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. to get up there or, and what resources are being wasted to get up there. But I just think yeah. it's a horrifying thought to think that we've expanded our creation of rubbish, basically, into the orbit of the Earth. Because that's what it is. It's giant mounds of rubbish flying around the Earth and all for profit. Yeah, for sure. And I think you even notice it, you know, if you're out stargazing now and you look at the stars, you will always see satellites now, uh, a few satellites. Um, and even astronomers are having issues of taking long exposure pictures of stars or faraway galaxies. And these pictures are being ruined by these streaks across their pictures, which are satellites, basically, in right. orbit. So even without the debris... Um, the issue of putting that many satellites up there, um, it's just polluting our skies and taking away, you know, the natural wonder that is uh, yeah. the night sky. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not enough that we've trashed the Earth, now we have to trash the low Earth orbit. It's another example of wanting profit now or going after profit as soon as we can without thinking of the longer term consequences. Or even the current consequences like wrecking, like wrecking the night sky. Um, yeah you know yeah 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 for sure all right anna <laughs> thank so you. has that cheered you up enough there dara <laughs> so i think uh i think we're both looking forward to having kira back next week <laughs> <laughs> yeah we need some light relief absolutely and that will be our season finale um so anna will chat to you then and we'll be hearing you a little bit later on with kaylee crossan for the last part of our culture feature thanks dara and as I said, still to come, we've got our culture feature with Kaylee Crossan and we conclude our Birdwatch Ireland collaboration. But coming up next is the Irish Enviro Event Guide. <laughs> 